0: The scripture this morning comes from John chapter 11, verses 45 through 57. John 11, verses 45 through 57. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, Now, the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, one of the things that we learn early on in life at an early age is that there will be consequences. There will be consequences. There always are. Drink too much tonight, and there will be consequences in the morning. Fail to study for the test today, and there will be consequences tomorrow. Don't wash the dishes before mama gets home. And there will be consequences. If anyone ever understood consequences for actions, beloved, it was Jesus. Jesus understood that there are consequences for, falling, for, for following the, the will of God in this fallen world. If anyone ever understood that, it was Jesus. Our words have consequences, our actions have consequences, and following the will of God in this life has consequences, both bad and good, always has, always will. Fortunately and thankfully, beloved, the the good outweighs the bad because the bad will eventually turn out to be good, following the will of God. And what we see in our text this morning is the consequences of raising Lazarus. Raising Lazarus from the dead had consequences. These do not catch Jesus unaware. These do not, they do not catch him off guard. Everything that Jesus did in his life leading up to this point had consequences. He understood that. In John chapter 6 and and verse 15, when he fed the 5,000, there were consequences. The people all of a sudden wanted to make him king. At the sound of Jesus declaring himself to be equal with God, in in John chapter 8 and, and verse 58, the Bible says that they wanted to stone him. Consequences. And as we come to our text this morning, after raising Lazarus from the dead, the Bible shows us here in our text the consequences for Jesus became immediately apparent. Some good, some not so good, all for the glory of God. Consequences are real. They're real, beloved. Someone asked the question, if if your 50-year-old self could go back and tell your 20-year-old self anything, what would it be? Well, the answer for me is simple. Son, there will be consequences. There always are. There always are. And yet, don't worry, God's purposes and plans always win out in the end. God's purposes and plans always win out in the end. Doing right has consequences. Doing wrong has consequences. And yet through it all, beloved, through it all, our confidence, despite the consequences, remains in the Lord our God, the creator of heaven and earth. Why is this important? This is important because this is the resolve with which we live our life Despite whatever the consequences may be, this is the resolve and confidence with which Jesus lived his life. This is the confidence with which he spoke, this is the assurance with which he acted, despite the mounting opposition. And after raising Lazarus from the dead, the opposition against Jesus not only grew, but then the opposition united. It didn't just grow, beloved, it united. And as we saw last week, Lazarus was the tipping point. Lazarus was the point of no return. Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the dead, right, set the stage for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Christ, knowing this, raised Lazarus from the dead, anticipating and accepting the consequences. Knowing the results that would come. Raising Lazarus from the dead. It was that final sign in John pointing to the cross. Pointing to the resurrection of Jesus. It's an important sign too, beloved. It's a sign that foretells the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord over the great that he is Lord over sin, that he is Lord over death. According to the Bible, according to the Bible, Jesus raised three people from the dead. Now, beloved, I'm, I'm convinced that probably was more. Okay? But, but what we have, from the testimony of Scripture, that God would have us to know is that there were three. Each one. Each one uniquely demonstrating Jesus' power and authority over death, over sin, over the grave, in some unique way. Consider this. Consider this. John chapter 8 and verses 49 through 56, we have Jesus, in Luke chapter 8 rather, in 49 through 56, we have Jesus raising Jairus' daughter, from the dead. Now the report had come to Jesus that Jairus' daughter was sick and the next thing you know the report comes and says master don't worry Jairus' daughter has has died and the Bible says when Jesus arrived to her house she had just died. In fact she was still in the bed where she had passed. You know what the Bible says Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and just her parents. And they went into the room where she was. And Jesus grabbed her hand. And you know what he did? In chapter 8 of Luke, in verse 54, the Bible says he took her by the hand, and he said, Child, arise. And he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Another incident that we have in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, is Jesus raising the widow's son. This widow lived in Nain, the Bible tells us. And when Jesus had come into, arrived into Nain... He arrived, and he saw this funeral procession. He witnessed this funeral procession. They were on their way to the grave. And Jesus saw the young woman there. He saw the mother, and she was weeping. And the Bible says that he had compassion on her. And he interrupted this funeral procession. And you know what the Bible says in Luke chapter 7 and verse 14, this time he touched the frame. He touched the frame on which the coffin was held. And he said, "Young man, I say to you, rise." And then we come to John 11. We come to Lazarus. Lazarus had not just died, Lazarus was not in the funeral procession. Lazarus, the Bible says, had been dead four days, he was not in the bed. He was not being carried to the grave. But the Bible says that he was dazed in the grave. And notice, Jesus didn't touch him. Jesus didn't touch his coffin. Jesus didn't just speak to him. The Bible says in John eleven forty three, 43, as we found out last week, he whispered to the little girl. He spoke to the son. But when he came to Lazarus' grave, he shouted, Lazarus called him by name. Come forth. Listen, beloved. This is important. This is important. The skeptic might suggest, well, you know that young girl, she really wasn't dead. And besides, who was there to witness it anyway? Or that young man might have been just some explainable phenomenon. We've known people to fall in comas for a day or two. But beloved, not Lazarus. It was clear he was dead. He had been dead, he would be dead. Everyone knew he was dead. Last week we we saw and we talked about our fascination with zombies. I won't go into that. You can go and listen to it again. Do you know know what else we're fascinated with, sister? We're fascinated with near-death experiences. That's what people call them. Near-death experiences. People who say, people who claim that they died and, and came back to tell us all about it. And there's books and there's movies that, that highlight our fascination and take advantage of our gullibility. The book Heaven is Real, best-selling book, popular movie. Some of y'all have read it. Some of y'all done saw the movie. I won't ask for any hands. 90 Minutes in Heaven, millions and millions of copies sold. 23 Minutes in Hell, became a New York Times bestseller. Let's get something straight this morning. Lazarus didn't spend 90 minutes in heaven. Nor did he come back and go on this speaking tour and write a book about it. Unlike us today, beloved, unlike our fascination today, when Lazarus died and when Lazarus was brought back, the conversation was not about Lazarus, where he had been and what he had done while he was away, but the conversation became about who is this Jesus? What Is Jesus doing? Now, obviously, beloved, obviously people had questions. There is no doubt in my mind that people had questions for Lazarus. What what was it like being dead? I mean, if Lazarus had walked in here, no doubt, we'd all gather around him and say, brother, you got to tell us what it was like being dead. What did you do? Who did you see? How does it feel to be alive in this world again? Did you miss us? Did you see us crying and weeping over you? There was no doubt, beloved, they had all these questions and more. Do you know the interesting thing about it, Brother Brother Murph, is that the Bible records none of that. The question is not who is Lazarus. The question is who is Jesus. The, the issue is not what did Lazarus do. The issue is what did Jesus do? Beloved, God did not raise Lazarus from the dead so that Lazarus could get rich, <laughs> write books, or make movies. God raised Lazarus, so that people would believe and trust in Jesus Christ unto eternal life. He raised Lazarus, not to point to Lazarus, he raised Lazarus so that people would see Jesus, so that they would see Jesus, see Jesus. And this is what we see as we come to the end of chapter 11. The conversation is not about Lazarus, is it? The conversation is about Jesus. And as we know, whenever there are conversations, there's always conspiracies because people just talk too much. And people don't know what they're talking about. And this is what we see. This was long before they had internet. It's long before they had podcasts. Long before YouTube. They started talking and they don't know what they're talking about. And so we see that there are conversations. And where there are conversations, there's also conspiracies. And that's what we see this morning. The result of Jesus being uh, raising Lazarus from the dead was conversations and conspiracies, and they're always surrounding about Jesus. They always are. They always are. Notice the conversation. Notice the conversations. Right, raising Lazarus from the dead, knowing that Lazarus had been dead four days, and everyone knew that Lazarus was dead naturally brought conversation and controversy. And the first conversation we see is a faithful conversation. The result of Lazarus being raised from the dead are conversations of faith, faithful conversations. Many began talking, but not about Lazarus, but about Jesus, who he is, and therefore, believing in him. In verse forty-five, many of the Jews, therefore, therefore, since Lazarus raised from the dead, since Christ raised Lazarus from the dead, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Believed in him. And this is the point. This is the whole point of the miracle. This is the point. Of raising Lazarus from the dead. Faith in Jesus, it always is. That is God's design, that is God's desire. If you see the sign and marvel, but don't trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, then you have wasted the sign. That's the point of the sign, is to point you to Christ. It is to point you to salvation. It is to point you to trust in Jesus. But unfortunately, unfortunately, beloved, many, many, many people, many people have wasted the signs. Many people have seen the signs and failed to trust in Christ. Failed, failed to trust in God. You know what God tells Moses in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 11 in speaking to the nation of Israel? As he has brought them out of Egypt with his mighty signs, as he has brought them through the desert, providing, providing for them day and night. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have performed among them. because the point of the signs is the point to Jesus, faith and trust in Jesus. And when you see the signs, Thankfully, they engender faithful conversations. And faithful conversations point people to faith in Jesus. Faithful conversations don't make much of a sign. Faithful conversations don't point people to Lazarus. Faithful talk points people to Jesus. They make much of the Savior. They say it's because of Jesus. See what happened? Yeah, well, that's because of Jesus. Martha has her brother back. Why? Because of Jesus. Mary is no longer weeping. Why? Because of Jesus. Lazarus walked out of the grave. Why? Because of Jesus. That's how you talk. That's faithful conversation. That's faithfully acknowledging that what has happened in my life has happened because of Jesus. I'm saved this morning, not because I'm smart, but because of Jesus. Your child has come home and your child is safe. Why? Because of Jesus. You kept your job through the pandemic. Why? Because you were so employable? No. Because of Jesus. You're still married after 30 years. Why? Because you're so nice. No. Because of Jesus. You found a home to live in. Why? Because you're lucky? No, beloved, because of Jesus. The cancer is in remission. Why? Because I took all the medication and the doctors were good at what they did. No, because of Jesus. Seeing what the Lord does to so lead us to talk about what the Lord has done. Leading other people to believe in what the Lord has done. To do otherwise, beloved, is foolish. To do otherwise is foolish. I can take the medicine, and I do take the medicine, and the medicine heals me. But it's not really the medicine, ultimately. It's Jesus. It's the mercy and the grace of God in Jesus. I can pay the bills. I can pay the bills. Because I work, and it gives me a paycheck. But all of those resources are because of Jesus. I can win the race because I train. But ultimately, the strength I have is because of Jesus. The Bible tells us to do, and whatever you do, beloved, whatever you do, let your conversation always be about Jesus. Win or lose, it is for the glory of Jesus. Pass or fail, it's for the glory of Jesus. Live or die, let the conversation always be the glory of Jesus. To do otherwise is not faithful. To do otherwise is foolish. And that's what we see, isn't it? Now, there were those who were making it about faith in Jesus. And they were having faithful conversations as a result of Lazarus. But then there were those there who were engaged in foolish talk as well. Foolish conversations. The sign was obvious, right? No one could deny that Lazarus was raised from the dead. And yet, the Bible tells us that instead of trusting Christ, they talk about trapping Christ. In verse 46, but some, making the contrast before the others, the others had believed in Jesus had trusted Christ and was talking about the glory of God in Christ raising Lazarus from the dead and believing in Jesus unto salvation, but there were others. But some, seeing and witnessing the same thing, seeing and witnessing the same sign, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. That an interesting. They believed what Jesus had done, but they didn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They believed he did what he did, but they don't believe that he is who he is. And so they reported. They reported on Jesus' activities. They, I guess they call themselves snitching on Jesus. When I was growing up, snitches got stitches. They still do, sister. <laughs> they talked about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. They talked about his miracles. But to what end? But to what end, beloved? It's amazing to me how people love to talk about God. They just love to talk about God. You can, you can get in a conversation with anybody about God all the time. People love to talk about God. And many people even love to talk about Jesus. They always have. They always have. They talked about Jesus when he was born. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 8, when Herod heard about the birth of Jesus, the Bible says in verse 8 that he sent the wise men to Bethlehem saying, go and search out diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too might come and worship him. Everybody, they love talking about Jesus. They talked about him when he was born. They talked about him when he was a young boy. That's what the Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 47. when When they found him in the temple, standing among the authorities in the temple, the Bible says that everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Herod want to talk about him where he is. Those in the temple want to talk about him and be be amazed at what he was saying and the answers he was given. They talked about him as he went about teaching. They were always talking about Jesus. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 32, the Bible says they were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one. Who had authority like they had never seen before. All that talk, 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 talk. Talk, 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 talk. Everybody want to talk about Jesus? Beloved, but here's the here's the issue. That any talk about Jesus that doesn't lead to faith is foolish. Any talk about Jesus that doesn't lead to faith in Jesus is foolish. Jesus didn't come to be the topic of your conversation. He didn't come to be some headline in a tabloid. Jesus came to save. And this is the point of God's signs as they stare them in the face. And yet they chose not to follow. How foolish. Lazarus, beloved, Lazarus walked out of the grave. And in walking out of the grave, pointed people to Jesus. And they saw it. And all they want to do is talk, 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 talk. How foolish. Foolish. Beloved, they had no reason not to follow Jesus. The evidence of God's goodness and grace was all around them, even as it is all around us. That's why the Bible says that no man or woman has an excuse. They didn't have an excuse then. They don't have an excuse now. They call my mother's generation the greatest generation because of their courage and because of their perseverance. This generation is often called the smartest or the richest generation because of all of its access to to knowledge and the multiplication of all of its wealth. And yet, beloved, all the talk of courage and perseverance, all of the talk of intelligence and wealth without faith in Jesus is foolish. Foolish! Foolish! And without faith, you know what foolish conversations do? They create fear. Unfounded, misguided fear. Soul-crippling, spirit-destroying fear. And that's what happened. That's what happened. Because they lacked faith, they acted in fear. When the chief priest, it says in verses 47 and 48, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we doing? What are we to do? For this man performs signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Do you hear that? They were afraid. Rather than faith, listen to the foolishness, and they became gripped by fear. Beloved, that is is the progress. If you are not trusting in Christ, then you will listen to the foolish conversations of the world, and you will become afraid. You will be gripped by fear. And I'm going to show you what happens when you're gripped by fear. They show us what happens to people who are gripped by fear. They were afraid. They feared they would lose their followers. They feared that they would lose the temple. They feared that they would lose their privilege and their power and their position. And so then what did they say to each other out of fear We got to get rid of Jesus. We got to get rid of Jesus. We got to get rid of Jesus. And unfortunately, beloved, unfortunately, unfortunately too many people believe that the best way to life is to just cut out Jesus. The the only way I'm going to survive (laughs) is I got to get rid of Jesus. I got to get rid of Jesus. If I want a better life, I got to get rid of Jesus. I got to get rid of church. I got to get rid of Christianity. Now, I'm not telling you something I heard this morning. I'm telling you what I know. Listen, listen to me, young people. Listen to me. Y'all look at me. One of the first things I did when I left my mother's house, was saying to myself, I'm not going to church anymore. Cuz I thought that the church and God and Jesus Christ was keeping me from being happy. And the pursuit of the pleasures of life in this world. And if I wanted to be happy and pursue pleasure and and have fun, then i got to get rid of Jesus. Do you know what I came to understand very quickly? That it wasn't Jesus that I should be afraid of. Because Jesus did not come, beloved, to engender fear in you. Jesus did not come to create fear in your life. Jesus came to engender faith in your life. He did not come to make my life bad, He came to make my life better. You have to take my testimony for it. Ask the woman at the well. Did Jesus come to the well that day to make your life worse? Young lady, she would tell you, no, he came to make it better. Ask that couple who ran out of wine in Cana. Did Jesus come to the wedding today to make your wedding worse? No, Jesus showed up to make your wedding better. Ask the man possessed by demons. Did Jesus come to make your life a living hell? No, it was already that. Jesus came to make it better. He didn't come, beloved, to take away my power. He came to give me his. He did not come to take away my wealth. He came to give me his. He did not come to take away my position. He came to lift me up to his. Oh oh Jesus didn't come to take your life. He came to give you life, and that life more abundantly. He did not come to take away your people, He came to save those who are His. And that's what, that's what the Bible says in verse 52. Jesus has come just to gather together all God's children, scattered all around the world. And if that's true, beloved, then there's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to be afraid of Jesus. There's no reason to fear Jesus. There's no reason to fear the will of God. Don't let self-talk lead you to foolish and fearful conversations. Trust in the will of God this morning. Trust in the will of God. Believe in Jesus. And listen to me. When you have faith in Christ, then you don't fear the conspiracies. Yeah. When you have faith in God, then you are not afraid of those who conspire. Yeah. Notice the conspiracy. Christ isn't afraid. Because his trust and confidence is in God, and whatever they do and whatever they conspire to do, God will is going and plans and the purposes will win out in the end. Whatever the consequences are for raising Lazarus, God's plans and purposes are going to win out in the end. Doesn't mean that they won't conspire. Doesn't mean they won't plan. Doesn't mean they won't plot. It just means that God's plans and purposes will win in the end. And because they operate in fear rather than faith, notice the Bible says they conspire to kill Jesus. In verse 54, so from that day on they made plans to put him to death. That's a conspiracy. The, the, The opposition has not only grown, but now the opposition has united. Two opposing sides have now joined forces against Jesus. And it's a conspiracy. Now, what is a conspiracy, beloved? A conspiracy is a secret plan or plot by two or more people to do something evil, harmful, or unlawful. And so you know what they do here. The Bible says that they plot. They plot their own agenda to bring an end to what they believe is the agenda of Jesus. They plot and plan to kill Jesus. They conspire to kill Jesus because by getting rid of Jesus, they save themselves. If I get rid of Jesus, then I can save myself. And their conspiracy ultimately is a conspiracy to save themselves. And since this is the case, beloved, this is not unusual. They want to save themselves from the Romans. We got to kill Jesus. They want to save themselves and their reputation among the people. we got to kill Jesus. They want to save themselves and their temple, and therefore they conspire. They plan and they plot to kill Jesus. But the real conspiracy here, beloved, is the conspiracy of humanity always trying to save itself. Always, always, always. Jesus came to save. They want to kill him because they believe they don't need Jesus. They can save themselves. They can save themselves. we don't need Jesus. Beloved, the, the world is full of conspiracies, full of them. You don't have to search long. You find them. People out there believe that conspiracy around World War II and the United States orchestrated the events of Port Harbor so they can get into war in Europe. People believe that the government the CIA orchestrated the assassination of JFK so they can get him out the way. A lot lot of people today believe that COVID-19 is an engineered virus in order to control population growth. Eight more people believe that the 5G towers are out there disseminating the coronavirus. And so they're burning them down. Conspiracies abound, and they won't stop. Why? Because people don't act in faith. They act out of fear. And because you walk in fear, conspiracies are more easily to be believed. But the greatest conspiracy of all is the conspiracy of, uh, against God by men and women to save themselves. You see this over and over again. See this over and over again. Adam and Eve conspired to save themselves against God. Abraham and Sarah conspired to save themselves Against God. Moses conspired. David conspired. Don't don't shake your head at them because you conspired too. You conspired. I conspired. Before you were saved, what were we doing? Conspiring to save ourselves. To save ourselves from boredom. So therefore we conspired all the pleasure we could find. To save ourselves from loss, we conspired. To save ourselves from hurt, we conspired. To save ourselves from poverty, we conspired. But you know what I learned over and over again? I learned that I can't save myself. All the pleasure in the world, the boredom came back the next day. We conspire against the only one who can save us. Because you know there are only two options, beloved. I don't care what the world says. I don't care how many theories they are. I don't care how loud they talk. I don't care how smart they are. I don't care how many books they write. There are only two options. You either going to save you or you going to try to save yourself or Jesus saves. If it's not Jesus saving everything else... Is you trying to save yourself? Amen. Jesus saves those beloved who can't save themselves. This is what the Lord has come to reveal to us. Jesus saves those who know they can't save themselves. The only savior from this conspiracy is Jesus. They conspire against the one who can save them from the ultimate conspiracy. Jesus. Jesus. The only savior from conspiracy is Jesus. Because, beloved, nothing, nothing ever happens until God said so. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And therefore, in a world full of conspiracies, and conspiracies there only one, there's only one that really matters. It's only one that really matters. It's found in Matthew chapter... 16 and verse 8, where Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Take that, conspiracies, for in fact, that's really not a conspiracy, that's a promise. The only only conspiracy that concerns me, beloved, is found in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. But well, the Bible says that what you that what we intend for evil God determines for good. And again, that's really not a conspiracy, that's a promise. The only conspiracy that you should really be caring about and putting your confidence in is found in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And all things are working to a good and glorious end. And again, beloved, this is not a conspiracy. This is a promise. It is the devil who deals in conspiracies. God deals in promises. And he promises this morning. And if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the promise with which Jesus raised Lazarus out of the grave. And everybody there who saw that believed in their heart that that was true, and confessed the lordship of Jesus Christ was saved. Then that is true for everyone now. And the Pharisees and the chief priests rejected that. They rejected Jesus. And rather than accepting Christ, They accepted the conspiracy to save themselves. What about you this morning, beloved? Would it be Christ or conspiracy? Would it be the Lord Jesus or some form of Illuminati? Would it be the Lord God or some version of the cabal? I choose Jesus, and in choosing Jesus, let the devil and his minions conspire. But you know what the song says? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. You know what Jesus says in the midst of this conspiracy against him? No weapon (laughs) formed against Christ will prosper. It won't work. Why? Because God will do what he says he will do. He will stand by his word. He will come through. No weapon formed against Jesus could ever prosper. Regardless of the consequences. Let's pray.